You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Oh, hey, guys, this is Joe Sinnott uh, speaking for the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Captain America, Episode 3, Bucky Reborn, covering a period of Captain America from 1969 to 1971. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Silver Age Captain America host, Drew Ivers. Now, Drew, what issues are we going to be talking about today? We are looking at the entirety of Epic Volume 3, Bucky Reborn. It contains Captain America 120 through 138. Yeah, this one also has the Captain America Annual Number 1. However, it's only the cover because that one happened to be just full of reprints of early Captain America tales from Tales of Suspense. Um, this, this volume is an interesting one because we have come off of the uh, the Jack Kirby years, uh, Jack Kirby, of course, the guy who's been working on Captain America since the 30s. Now I feel like we get to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction, but they don't quite know what direction they want to go yet. Yeah, I think I think the first half of the book, as we'll see, there's they're trying to figure th- things out, and they come across a, a certain formula which. You know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, and, and we'll talk about that as we go on. But it's it involves a lot of uh, sad Steve Rogers. And, oh man, um, so sad. Yeah, and, and the book definitely definitely improves by the time we get to the end. Yeah, and I just don't know if that has to do with uh, the combination of artists or or like you know, Stan was Stan Lee at this point in the late '60s. He was um, starting to hand off his work to other people, and he was getting more interested in other stuff. Like he hadn't kind of made his move, I don't think, by this point out to the West Coast. Uh, but he was um, handing over the writing reins to other people instead of kind of keeping it all to himself. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we we're probably being a little harsh on this book because it's it's hard to compare to Jack Kirby and Steranko, and we certainly gushed over them enough um in the last couple of episodes but there is a lot of good stuff in here and i think i think some of the changes made in here last for quite a long time and and are are really good changes that they make to the the character so it's a kind of a transitionary period here yeah and we're going to see some wonderful art from gene colon this book is almost entirely drawn by gene and uh, we saw him, the, the start of his run on Captain America in the last volume, and then this issue, uh, the last issue isn't drawn by Gene, but the entire rest of it is. And I think that actually adds a lot to it. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Gene Colan fan. I really like the way he tells a story and the way he composes his panels, and he's got a very kind of a cinematic look to the way, to his compositions, his camera angles and such. Uh, in this book, however, I feel like there is a little bit of a drawback because a lot of it is inked by an inker that I am not as fond of, um, and that's uh, Dick Ayers. And he's um, he's a he's a fine penciler. I enjoyed his work a lot on uh, on Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, but 
just embellishing uh, Joe Sinnott kind of left me cold. And that's that's kind of in the middle of this book. So we'll, we'll talk about that. I'll give some specific examples of, of why I'm not a huge fan of that uh, as we go through the book. Yeah, I definitely tried to to read through this volume with with a fresh uh, fresh approach or fresh eyes for Gene Colan. Um, not the not the biggest fan of his work from what I've seen before, but um, like you said, there is there's a certain cinematic quality, and he um, he definitely plays with some interesting angles here. But uh, it, it is hard to compare to to kind of the the '60s vibe of Starenko and oh yeah, and the bombasticness of of Kirby before him. So it's a tough tough act to follow. Have you ever read Tomb of Dracula? I haven't, no. Okay, I would recommend checking that out. Not only is it just a fantastic book story-wise, but Gene and the combination of Gene and Tom Palmer is just, it'll just blow your mind. Those two are really, really great. So I feel like people who are not fans of Gene Colan probably haven't seen him with the right inker or the right embellisher. And in this book, we talked about this in the last volume, um, he's, he embellishes, sorry, he, Gene Colan is primarily doing breakdowns in this in this book. All of the inker credits are actually embellishment credits, which means that they're taking his his loose, rough layouts, and they are really adding all of the details and all of the, like bringing the page to life. They're, they're finishing the work. They're not just inking, they're doing more than that. So you have to, I think you have to have the right inker in order to fully appreciate Gene Colan's work. And so Dick Ayers, maybe not the right guy. We'll see Bill Everett in this book, who is just fantastic with Gene Colan. And, uh, and even Joe Sinnott at the beginning of this book, really, really great with with Gene Colan. So yeah, uh, we don't have any listener comments today. I put out a call for some comments, but uh, nobody on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram seemed to want to give me anything to say about this book in particular, which I found found kind of interesting. Uh, I know that you and I were both like, well, this isn't the best Captain America volume. Uh, this is material that just hasn't, it doesn't get talked about much. People don't bring up the post-Kirby, pre-Steve uh, Englehart issues when they're talking about greatest moments in Captain America history. And I think the fact that we have no listener comments also kind of uh, reflects that a little bit yeah I, I just i don't feel like there's a lot of there's not really any new introductions as far as villains um you know there's nothing really that that stands out in terms of in terms of the issues here um as far as key key appearances or anything like that but this is the beginning of the captain america falcon relationship like that i you would think that that has some uh you know some historical value there it's definitely my favorite part of the book. Um, you know, obviously he makes his first appearance in Epic Volume Two, right. which is a little mistitled because this one is way more focused on on the Falcon yeah. than that one. But yeah, yeah I, I hope that I hope through this podcast or through whatever means, people kind of take another look at these issues. And it's really really interesting to see the the relationship between uh, between Steve and and Sam Wilson, especially in the back half of the book here, because there, it's not it's not like a, a Batman and Robin relationship. It's two two adults kind of you know coming together and they both have their own personalities and agendas and there's there's some good conflict there yeah there is well i think we can probably go ahead and jump into the issues uh, this book starts with issue number 120. It's called Crack Up on Campus. Now, Steve, this is a, uh, kind of a weird way to start this issue. Steve 
is uh, he's being kind of manipulated or brainwashed by Shield, and uh, and he doesn't know it. But he's going to he's being manipulated into taking a job. Get this as a PE teacher, and then he kind of falls into the middle of these student protests that are that are going on, and uh, and he has to Steve has to kind of keep the peace between the the dean and the students. And uh, it's just it's sort it's very very much a slice of life in 1969 because these student protests. This is something we saw through the through the the previous volume as well. But this is something that was kind of going on big time during this era. Is, is students protesting to try and get uh, different stuff in the curriculum to get dean to, the dean to pay attention to where the cultural movements were at and that kind of thing. And uh, um, this is. It, it dates it a little bit, but it's still kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I think there's some interesting parallels for today. I mean, it, it, the 60s and 70s were obviously an era of civil unrest, and you have the Vietnam protests and the civil rights movement going on. And Stan definitely has his uh, finger on the pulse of, of youth, or he, he tries to at least, and um, tries to keep the book topical. And I think if there's one one or two through lines in this book, um, the, the topicality and, and uh, pulling from current events is definitely one of them. And in this one, uh, Modoc is maybe the other through line because he, this is the first of um, a handful of appearances for Modoc as he uh, he kind of antagonizes the campus here. Yeah, reading this one right off the bat, and um, and then you know reading the next next couple of issues, it, it's weird that Modoc shows up because he has real no real purpose in this story at all. And in fact, I feel like it's kind of a a deterrent to the actual real world issues because Stan is now saying because because what happens in the story is that it's revealed that Modoc is sort of mind controlling the students or like influencing them or suggesting that they act that they act out and, and cause a ruckus and whatever. And it's making the students, it, it makes their their complaints or their issues non-issues because all of a sudden they're being controlled by a supervillain. Yeah, I mean, they do, they're definitely, there is that handshake at the very end where he says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to still dissent. Um, Baker does the lead yeah, student here, right. but he, it's definitely takes a little of the edge off in terms of what they're looking for in the protest. And it's kind of vague in general. I mean, there's not really, it's not an anti-war protest or anything like that, but right. um yeah, I just the, the the issue is just kind of interesting because the whole setup and Modoc's involvement just doesn't really make any sense. I mean, why not just ask Steve to go pose as the gym teacher? Why why ask him to pose as a gym teacher in the first place? You know, <laughs> yeah, why why exactly. put him in the slumber seat, the yep. shield slumber seat? Yeah, <laughs> that made no sense to me. Yeah, there is no purpose why like it didn't seem like Fury had a reason by the end of the issue why Cap needed to be at that school at that time. It's not really Shield's jurisdiction to deal with student issues like this and I, i've always liked aim and and modoc and kind of the, the faceless organization um the nature of that organization you know they're kind of just good good stooges for captain america to beat up yeah but yeah they definitely work better to me when there's when they're in their labs or you know they're yeah. underground or whatever with science fiction of, <laughs> yeah exactly instead of kind of just making students a little bit angrier for some reason and we will see some of that later on in this book which i'm happy about but uh yeah uh, Drew, what do you think about Captain America as a PE teacher? Would you want him to be your PE teacher? <laughs> I, yeah, sure. I, I think he could do anything pretty well. I mean, he's uh, he would definitely set a good example physically and and uh, with with teamwork and everything. Why not? 
Uh, I hated PE when I was in high school. It was not my favorite at all. And I feel like Cap would, uh, he'd be coming from an army background. I think he'd be a little bit too intense for me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was definitely, I, I took uh, racket sports instead of gym one year. And so that's that's definitely more my speed. Oh, okay, but, um, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I think he's a pretty fair guy and, and probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be too rough on anyone. I hope not. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, yeah, Captain America 121 is called The Coming of the Man Brute, and a uh, professor named Silas Cragg creates a new super soldier serum and uh, injects it into a very large and angry man. Um, <laughs> and they, they end up setting up a fake charity event where uh, Captain America gets lured in, and um, and the man brute ends up giving away, giving up and running away after seeing his own child in the, in the fray. Yeah, I liked this issue. Um, I thought that the this, this is one of these issues that they kind of come back to over and over again, place a character that is kind of the antithesis of Captain America to show why Captain America is so important or what makes Captain America, Captain America. And so by having the two different people have the same serum in them, but just because of their personality, they use the power in a completely different way. It really shows us why Captain America is the hero that he is. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a good opportunity for them to retell um, the origin a little bit. There's a two-page two-page spread here on page 28 and 29 of the collection where they very briefly go into the super soldier serum and whatnot. Right. My my favorite thing about this issue is just kind of the idea that this guy developed a, su- a super soldier serum. We don't really see any any negative side effects where it starts degrading the person it's injected into or kind of makes them crazy or anything like that. It works perfectly, which obviously in the Marvel universe we have <laughs> yeah. villains all the time trying to replicate it and uh, you know whether they work for the Russians or whatever. Um, and so to see it work perfectly here, other than maybe the wrong choice of person for his for his villain villainy aims is a little little interesting then of course this this craig guy dies at the end so the formula is lost forever and uh, which is which is just uh poetic i guess you know yeah that seems to be the the curse of the super soldier serums is if you make it correctly you end if up you dying have, yep you end up dying but i i did like how they they didn't captain america and the man brute didn't really fight each other um to a standstill the man brute sees his son in the crowd and realizes the danger he could have caused and, and the harm he could have caused and just walks away. So it was a nice little little twist instead of just knocking him out. I also like the page where the man brute becomes the super soldier on page 33 in this collection. It's page eight in the in the comic. And because that that one big splash page sort of parallels the Steve Rogers origin page that we mm-hmm. saw a couple pages earlier. So uh, Gene Colan does a nice job of that. And just overall, there's some really nice inking. This is Joe Sinnott, uh, who's probably best known for his work inking Jack Kirby on Fantastic Four. Joe Sinnott doing some really, really nice inks and playing with with shadows, uh, doing a really nice job. I like on the last page, uh, the very last panel, where Captain America is, you know, he's sad and walking away. And there's like some great lighting effect in the background there. And um, it just it just really looks nice. I, I feel like it's a good solid a good solid issue, both story and art wise. I'm glad you brought up the last panel because we you know if you're if you're reading along at home here, you may want to start keeping track of the number of issues that end with with Captain America walking away with his back to us. Oh and, man, and so his head many. down. So it happened in the last issue, actually. It did. And so this is the second out of t- there's two issues that we've covered right now, and they both have 
Captain America sad and walking away with his head hanging low. <laughs> There's a lot of sad Steve in this. Oh, man. Okay, the next issue is called The Sting of the Scorpion. This is issue Captain America issue number 122. And uh, in this one, uh, there's a spy ring that hires the this, this Scorpion to kill Sharon Carter, but uh, he happens to run into not Captain America, but Steve Rogers by accident, and it gets in a little bit of a scuffle with, with Steve. And um, and then later on, he battles Captain America. And this whole thing is, uh, it, it's basically just two big fights. And it's mm-hmm. pretty entertaining, even though there's very minimal plot. Yeah, it's kind of you have the six or seven pages of the intro where where Steve is basically in agony over Sharon, um, and then you've got the fight of Scorpion versus Steve, and then the end fight of Scorpion versus Captain America. So it's it's an interesting issue, and um, I think if I, if I'm not mistaken, it's AIM that hires the Scorpion here, right? Um, so they're kind of they're kind of popping up again here, but um, kind of cool to see a Spider-Man villain uh, pop up here. Yeah, I, I one thing that that Captain America lacks kind of is his own rogues gallery. I mean, he's got Modok and Red Skull and like Batrock. Like I think <laughs> who else is there? Really? Well, there's Bar- the Baron Strucker and and Zemo. Oh, Zemo, and, yeah, uh, of course Zemo. There there's a handful, but yeah, I think I think if you're looking at Marvel villains or Marvel heroes, he's definitely closer to the, like the the Iron Man rogues gallery versus you know the top of the Spider-Man rogues gallery. Yeah, which is why in this book we're going to see a lot of guest villains coming over from other books to uh, to play in yeah in in this world here in the captain america world starting with this one scorpion there's a great opening monologue i really like uh how like you said six pages of him in agony and yes that's it seems like a lot but gene actually does a good job of keeping the, the, the visuals interesting while he's going through this big monologue um, as he's just walking through the city. Uh, there's some nice coloring job here of keeping things in this sort of purpley gray hue with the, the bright yellow lights to, to give it this really like he's walking at night kind of a feel. Uh, and then the, the text itself, Captain America goes through a lot of different stages in these six pages. Mm-hmm. From agony, he's questioning his relationship with Sharon, he's questioning his place in the world, whether he should be, um, well, whether he's relevant in the world today, and, you know, should he continue to be Captain America? Like, he goes all over the place, doesn't really have any answers, but I like just kind of that stream of consciousness that we're getting from him. I think it's actually kind of good. Yeah, I mean, he's really, I think this is really reflective of of the era. Um, this was written in a lot of the establishment versus versus the youth, and he's just questioning his place. I mean, he's obviously, he says, well, I'm part of the establishment. I'm not going to knock it, but, you know, at the same time, at the same time, no one's perfect, and, you know, this the establishment can definitely be criticized here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole counterculture movement, I think, really mm-hmm. adds an, an interesting um, interesting perspective to the way Captain America works in the world, and viewing it here, this is these are fifty-year-old comics now. Viewing it fifty years later, uh, it's interesting, like you said earlier, to see the parallels between what's going on with Captain America and how we, how the world is today, and how Captain America kind of fits in with the world. Um, I mean, we saw this in the Captain America movies as well, in Civil War, especially when he. You know, he's like, I am going to break away from the government because I don't believe in what the government's doing. It's like, that's not the Captain America of the of the early 60s or anything like that. 
Yeah, I think that's a struggle that that you see a lot with Superman too. Um, kind of the more patriotic heroes that maybe started, uh, you know, in the 30s and 40s. How to how to make them relevant when there's not a lot of patriotism, there's not a lot of uh, those feelings in in a modern world. And obviously, this is not anything new. This has been going on since the 60s here for for Marvel with Captain America. Yeah. Okay, well, let's keep on going. Yeah, uh, Captain America 123 is called Suprema, the deadliest of the species. And uh, a villain named Suprema starts taking over crime in the city using what she calls the power of witchcraft. And uh, she turns her hypnosis powers to S.H.I.E.L.D., um, where she hypnotizes everyone except for Captain America, who escapes. So Captain America starts some research to figure out how a way to stop her. Now, is it just me, or did this this character kind of look like just like Madame Hydra, just with a, you could see both of her eyes? <laughs> yeah, definitely kind of a knockoff Madame Hydra vibe here. Um, Especially you know, you know colored in green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, I think we talked about it in the last episode. Kind of you mentioned the the uh, complementary colors for the the heroes, right? Yep. And, and she kind of follows the same pattern for villains with the green and orange here. Her and uh, what's his name, um, Scarbo. Um, <laughs> not really, not really interesting as a pair uh, or as a villain as um, as uh, Madame Hydra was in the last volume. But um, there's some fun stuff in this issue. It's just kind of it gets kind of rushed towards the end here. Yeah, it really does. There's like the last two pages are completely Captain America giving us the rundown of the plot. What what I did like about this one is that Captain America actually plays detective really well. Mm-hmm. He he's kind of like a Batman here, classic Batman where he actually does the work to figure out and connect the dots. That is not actually typical Captain America. So I appreciated that. It's something different. And it added an interesting element to this story, which was otherwise sort of kind of weird. Um, I tell you, another thing that's, that I found, one thing I found weird is that this character, she controls people um, with her superpower, with her witchcraft. And like, that's that's kind of cool. Like, it's a, it's a great comic booky story. But then we find out that it, the witchcraft wasn't real and it was actually just hypnosis. I'm like, <laughs> this is a comic book. The witchcraft could have been real. Like, why did we bother changing that at the last minute? It's so weird. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think since the beginning here and kind of in the Shield comics as well, we see Captain America versus technology a lot. I mean, there's some kind of magical stuff with the cosmic cube and everything like we've seen, but Well, even that was um, technology. It was created by AIM. Right, yeah. So, you know, it is nice to see him and kind of solve the problem as lame as the solution ends up being with a little reverse uh what is it? Reverse hypnosis. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, we get to see Tony Stark, we get to see J. Jonah Jameson um in little one panel panel cameos so that part was fun but yeah the the issue is mostly just mostly just a fight and then he escapes so not not really the most uh well-paced issue and these two do not become part of captain america's stunning rogues gallery <laughs> no they do, they do pop up again um so if you have if you have uh, epic 15 uh the bloodstone hunts um they turn up as mother knight and malachi um and captain america does recognize them uh so a little spoiler there if you haven't read that one yet but <laughs> yeah. uh but they do pop up again and um and I think, if I remember right, they pop up in Brubaker's run. Uh, at least, at least Suprema does, or Mother Knight does. So. Oh, okay. And what Drew is on the last panel of this issue? <laughs> uh, sad Steve. Sad Steve walking, walking away. away. So that's number three for this issue here. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're three for four. Yep. Okay, Captain America 124, Mission, Stop the Cyborg. 
uh, AIM is back here creating a cyborg to take down Captain America and they use Sharon in order to lure Cap into a trap. Now, this one is where I feel like like the 1950s style of relationships uh, is really coming into play here because Captain America doesn't want Sharon to be in harm's way. So he kind of literally says... Uh, Karen, you cannot go on this mission. Nick Fury, please put her on a desk. Put her in a desk job so that she doesn't go on this mission. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you're really gonna tell the woman what to do? That doesn't seem like it's a very modern way of thinking, there, Steve. And then Nick goes for it, and and um, and Sharon doesn't really put up a fight. But they, we find out in the end, they allowed that whole exchange to take place so that they could actually uh, entrap the bad guy <laughs> and they're kind of playing steve in the end yeah they're yeah steve is just kind of a, a jerk in some of these issues there's another one in the second half of the book here where he does something similar but yeah he just basically says this is happening and and uh and this is what i want in order to be with her and she says well okay if that's what you want well, i mean yeah i think i think this is kind of typical of the era and uh and typical of, of stan's romance writing in some ways yeah that's true that is true but uh, by the, as far as this robot is concerned, it's not the most compelling issue because we don't have a robot that's really special at all. It's not unique. It's literally kind of just a regular cyborg. And so it doesn't really make the episode or the issue interesting. In fact, there's a few issues where AIM creates a mm-hmm. robot and sends it after Steve in this whole book. And it's like, this one is probably the lamest of them all. I think. Yeah, he looks a little goofy. Yeah, you're right. There there are a few. Um, there's a, I think MODOK creates two or three um, just like this where yeah. they're all slightly different but they have the same kind of same kind of purpose and this one just has like a weird oil can looking thing on its head and <laughs> yeah. um it doesn't really put up much of a fight yeah but the real point of the issue the robot is just a catalyst to get this relationship with steve and sharon to kind of come to a head here uh and on the last page the last panel look at that <laughs> steve is sad and walking away <laughs> It, it's just I, I think this is the formula they wanted I mean this is what they this is what they wanted the book Captain America to be you know there's kind of this conflict between him and uh, him and Sharon and who's you know who's going to give in first and um, you know if, if you're picking up a random issue of Captain America back in the 60s and 70s um, in this era they wanted a, a consistent product on, on the shelves so this is this is one of the beats they wanted to hit every time that's true and they had no idea I'm sure that we would be talking about these 50 years later in a collection of 500 pages like I, these issues are not meant to be read all together all in like one sitting so yeah they do seem repetitive like this but like you were saying you'd pick up one you'd wait a month and if your local corner store got the next issue you'd read the next issue mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i mean you you want you know you want some action you want a little bit of drama a little bit of emotion and uh and unfortunately for steve the emotion in every issue so far is is uh, sadness. Sad. <laughs> well, we have a little bit of a different emotion in this next issue, number 125. He starts off angry. Yeah, um, this one's called Captured in Vietnam, and uh, and Captain America is, is trying to forget about Sharon, and what better way than to fly over to Vietnam and get involved in the war. Um, he, he tries to rescue someone named Dr. Hoskins, who's been kidnapped, um, but it turns out uh, he was kidnapped by the Mandarin, who's just trying to inflame inflame the war on both sides so yes the mandarin we have an iron man villain now showing up in captain america and honestly he 
I, uh, these early appearances of Mandarin are just kind of, they're kind of blah. He's kind of a nothing villain, and I f feel like he's nothing in this one as well. Kind of lame. Well, and they hype it up so much on the cover. They say, featuring the surprise villain of the year. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like really? I don't know. I, I'd probably be more excited by by Scorpion or, or some of the ones that pop up later in the in the book here. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That might get me to buy the book back, but uh, kind of a letdown for sure. Yeah, I think so. The other part of the letdown here is that we have a new inker. It's not Joe Sinnott anymore, who's been fantastic in these issues leading up to this point. But now we have Frank Giacoya, and he is not the same kind of an inker as Joe Sinnott is. And if you go to page 127 in this collection, which is page 18 in this book, I think you can tell that the inking is just different. You look at the top panel with Captain America over top of this grate, and they just he just adds kind of very sparse lines to indicate the shadow underneath Captain America, which is, I feel like, something that Joe Sinnott or, or Gene Colan wouldn't do. And then look at that fist on the bottom page where Mandarin is, in the middle panel, Mandarin is just stretching out his fist and shaking it at the at Captain America or whatever. It's a little unfinished. It's it's weird, yeah. It's like the fingers aren't kind of in the right places or something. And the, <laughs> kind of meld with the hand. The Even the ink line, the, like the shadows on the, that are um, the creating the, the depth of the hand have these weird black, black blotchy parts at the front, at the top of them. And I don't know. It's just not the same, and I don't. I wasn't a fan of it very much. Yeah, I, I felt like there's something something I'm missing with with the movement, um, the action in this book and this issue. It's just a little difficult to understand to separate some of the characters and some of the some of the action that's going on. And I don't know if that's the inking or the embellishment, but it felt a little messy to me for sure. Yeah, I'm going to chalk that up to the embellishment. Some of these, because a lot of this takes place in the bush because he's in Vietnam in the middle of the Nam War. And I think that if Gene Colan is just doing layouts and letting the embellisher take care of the details, then these, a lot of these like leaves and brushes, brush and uh, trees and whatever, they, they just, they're, they're left up to Frank G. Koya and he's kind of just letting mm -hmm. them get in the way a little bit. Uh, okay, so one thing I did like about this issue is that this issue is full of Asian characters, but Gene Colan doesn't fall into... Uh, using the the racist tropes that we saw, for instance, with Jack Kirby in the last volume when he had that Chinese general as part of the Exiles, not that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It was like a year in you know twelve issues ago or whatever. So a year's time, but that just goes to show the different approach between these two artists. Gene renders things just generally speaking more realistically, and it looks really nice. Yeah, it does. I think I think that's something we'll see from from Gene throughout the book here. Kind of a refreshing issue in terms of that, and obviously, you know, the story Stan is trying to play play both sides here a little bit and make make sure there's no bad guys, make sure um, the North Vietnamese aren't turned into cartoon villains or anything like that. Both right. sides are pretty well respected here. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, let's see here. Let's check the last panel to see what the last panel looks like here. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There's Steve walking away. This time he's in the rain, so it makes it even more sad. Yeah, it's uh, walking back to the plane to go home, talking about he, he's got nothing. He's got nothing and for nothing him. but loneliness. <laughs> oh, man. Poor guy. Uh, let's move on to Captain America 126. This is the fate of the Falcon. Introducing the diabolical, deadly Diamond Head. So, Captain America, back in New York. He's in Harlem, and he's looking for his old friend, the Falcon, whom we haven't seen since they had their first adventure 
uh, a while back. But it seems like Falcon has actually kind of made a name for himself in Harlem during the time that Captain America has has been gone. Uh, people know him. They recognize his costume. But right now, in particular, he's actually in trouble with the law for doing something that um, he didn't do. They don't exactly say what it is, do they? I don't think so. I think he, you know, he's obviously being set up here. But um, yeah, this whole this whole intro sequence is really. I found it really exciting with with Captain America trying to sneak into the building. Yeah. Um, over the heads of the police and and the mob here, and um, yeah, that's a good point. I think we saw last volume where where Captain America ran into the Falcon and kind of set him up and made him made him into a hero essentially with a costume, and he's he's kind of been doing his own thing here in Harlem and. Uh, it's nice to have him have him be his own established character in person instead of like a, a Robin tied to Captain America. Right, exactly. Yeah. So when they do have a partnership, it really is a partnership rather than a hero sidekick mm-hmm. kind of a thing, uh, which is which is great. And we'll see that a little bit later in the book. Now, Frank, Frank Giacoya does the inks in this one, but I feel like it's better. I like it better. If you go to page 135, which is page five in this story, there's just this one crowd scene that I really like. And he's in the first panel where Captain America is looking at the crowd and they're all kind of in blue. And you can see the, the people kind of in detail in the first couple of rows. But then you get go back, 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 and they're pretty much they're just kind of circles or dots and lines to, to give the impression of people. But that's a lot of uh, I think that's very creative and good inking from Frank. And, uh, you know, these are the first few pages of the book. So, of course, I think they're always going to be better because by the end of the book, you're crunched for time and rushing a little bit. But uh <laughs> Uh, he does a good job here. Um, also, this is the first time that we see Falcon or Sam Wilson in the Captain America costume. Yeah, um, it's it's a striking panel. I think th- this whole issue, the whole volume, really. There's a lot of uh, a lot of dealing with race in America. Um, obviously, in this panel on page 137, Sam is talking about how how the Diamond Head Gang is kind of a black version of the Klan, preaching hate against white people. And to see him in the suit is pretty striking. It's it's a, a, a great image, especially for, for the late 60s here. Yeah. Well, what do you think about the image of Diamond Head himself? Yeah, I think I think um, on page 140, I, I do like this drawing. Looking at it in more in depth here, there there are some issues I have with it, but um, I think he's at his most menacing here, and then he kind of gets a little less and less threatening as, as the book goes on, <laughs> yeah. um, especially when you can see the white skin under the mask here, which is kind of the, the twist ending of the issue, but... Um, he kind of looks a little, a little odd. I don't know, like especially right on the next page um, where you see him in profile. It's not yeah. quite as scary. What's he doing with his mouth there? He's like puckering up for a kiss or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you have to give it to Gene Colan for making some interesting panels, though. That big splash page you were just talking about on page 140, the big splash page of Diamond Head, where he's like he's looking at the camera and he's got one arm his right arm is stretched out but then his left arm is stretched back pointing at the TV that's not an easy thing to try and uh, to try and convey not an easy pose because you've got not only just the foreshortening but you've got the weird twist in the arm going backwards but he does a pretty good job it looks good he's covered up most of the anatomy with the big bulky jacket so I think he can fake it a little bit but mm-hmm. um, it's okay so it looks good yeah and, and he and yeah, Diamond Head is uh, turns out to be a member of the the Magia, the Mafia. Um, yeah. Rocky the Lynx, Rocky who's the been Lynx. kind of like the um, the Mandarin in the last one, just kind of stirring up both sides to uh, to make things worse and take advantage of everyone. 
which is kind of a, a, a common theme that we're seeing here. I mean, that's what Modoc was doing with the students and stuff, just kind of stirring up the pot, uh, taking the, the, you know, the civil unrest of the, just the general public and playing on their fears. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think we'll see more rioting, uh, as, as this book goes on and, um, more, more upset mobs. Yeah. Let's look at the last panel of this story here and see... Oh, yeah, Captain America, he's sad. Well, he's not actually sad and walking away. He's just walking away. But he was happy to be partnered with a, partnering up with Falcon. Yeah, well, it technically qualifies. He's not, not as sad as the last issues, but he's still kind of... Still a very dramatic way to walk away. Yes. I've lost count now. That's got to be like six or something. I think we're up there, yeah. So Captain America 127 is called Who Calls Me Traitor? And in this one, uh, Captain America is testing out a protecto suit for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, fighting Nick Fury. And um, and they, they go ahead and use the, the suit in a S.H.I.E.L.D. raid, but it's already compromised, so they think there's a rat. And uh, they turn their eyes to Captain America, and they want to make sure he's the real deal. And so it turns out uh, it turns out he is by the end. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Although he makes one comment in here, it's like, how do we know that's Captain America? Anybody can just buy a mask. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. That's exactly what I think all the time. It's like, you know, Spider-Man walks into the, the mayor's office and is like, hey, I'm Spider-Man. Can you help me out? And I'm like, okay, sure. Because, you know, there's only one person in the world that could possibly have a Spider-Man costume. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like you might be in favor of the, the Registration Act or whatever from Civil War, just kind of making sure that these guys are who they say they are, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. One thing I found interesting here is that we get to see Nick Fury in his home apartment, which is something I tend to never think that Nick Fury has because he kind of lives and breathes his job. And so I mm -hmm. always am like, he's always just, he lives at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. I never think of him having a place where he goes to in the evening, but he has an apartment here and he's hanging out with Sharon and uh, Joe Robertson from the Daily Bugle. Yeah, you kind of think of him like a, a ship captain or something, just bunking there yep. and uh, with his box of cigars. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So in this, this issue, I, I like this issue. I, I don't, I, I feel like they're really rough on Steve. Um, you know, whether, whether they're just doing it to bring out the real trader or because Nick doesn't really think he is the real Captain America. Um, they're really rough on him. I mean, he, he really takes it to heart, their, their betrayal and everything. I think by the end of this, I think it's kind of clear to me, at least that's what I think is that Captain, that Nick Fury knew the whole time that Captain America was not the traitor because Sharon sees the doctor, Dr. Ryder, fiddling with the mm -hmm. machine that's kind of um, sabotaging things. And she says, it was Dr. Ryder, as you suspected, Nick Fury. And then, and then the captain says, then you used me as a decoy to trap him? So they they knew the whole time, and they they just kind of upset Steve. Yeah, the only reason that. I thought that was just because on page one sixty two, uh, Nick Fury does have a little thought bubble where he says, "I just got to make sure he's the real real deal," you know. Um, so maybe he's mm. got kind of an idea that it is the Doctor, but he just also wants to you know put Cap through his paces first at the same time, I guess. But yeah, that's true because why would he say that in his own inner monologue? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's not like he's explaining. You you know it to anyone else he's just kind of thinking it himself but another another kind of uh generic android in this one too yes it is android x4 and then steve's walking away sad at the end of this one as well 
Well, deservedly so in this one. I think I think um, he kind of gets played with in this one, and uh, and Sharon Sharon just seems to be going along with whatever whoever tells her what to do in each issue. You know, whether it's Nick Fury or or uh, Steve, she's just kind of you know she definitely has her own personality and everything, um, and she wants to be in the middle of the action. That's that's one consistent characteristic for Sharon. But you know, she's kind of uh, kind of stuck in the middle here. Yeah, she isn't getting any real development, and she actually won't get any real development kind of until Steve Englehart comes along and starts mm-hmm. playing with her character more, which is uh, not until... Yeah, I don't even know if it's in the next volume. It might be the volume after that. But, uh, okay, the next issue here, issue number 128, Mission Stamp Out Satan's Angels. <laughs> A very, very thin uh, <laughs> parallel. They're not really trying to hide anything with, with who they're talking about here. This one is about... Um, Captain America buying a motorcycle, but then going, getting thrown in jail because he's not wearing a helmet. And, uh, and then he meets a whole bunch of kind of ruffians, a motorcycle gang called Satan's Angels, who uh, take Captain America or take Steve kind of under their wing and, and free him. But then they find out that they are going to break up a big music festival with a whole bunch of hippies because they don't like that counterculture movement. And uh, the Captain America kind of gets between them. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of similar. There are some similarities here to the one with the man brute because the guy here, Whitey, there are a few characters in this book called Whitey, I think. Um, <laughs> Whitey, who is the, the head of this Satan's Angels, accidentally falls off of his bike and his bike goes flying and almost hits his kid brother, Dickie. And then he realizes kind of the error of his ways and he's going to be a better person after this. Yeah, another kind of uh, aspect of the the '60s and '70s counterculture here. You know, I, I really did like how they he's in jail and they're like, "Oh man, he's a biker. He must be one of us." You know, he must yep. think the same way as us. And um, and they they try and bust him out. And little little do they know. Yeah, I don't know which which is the thinner reference, the the magia to the mafia or um, Satan's angels to Hell's angels. So I think <laughs> I think they're a little afraid of these these gangs over at Marvel. Yeah, that's funny. Kind of a historic moment in this one, though, Captain America buying a motorcycle, hey? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, we definitely have seen it in flashbacks when he's back in World War II, so um, really cool to see him get back on the bike, and uh, and he's, he uh, he travels the country a couple times throughout throughout his history, so it's um, well, nice to see him hit this, the road. Even in this book, he does that twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to see him get out of New York City and kind of hand, see a little different crowd. So up until now, we have had, they've just been kind of single issues. And we haven't really had any cliffhangers other than like, you know, Sad Steve walking away, that that kind of cliffhanger. But in this one, kind of out of nowhere, we get the Red Skull right in the last page, in the last panel. He's just watching on a screen. He clicks off the screen. And he's like, <laughs> I found him. He'll never escape me again. And I was like, wow, this kind of comes out of nowhere. It was very, very odd and didn't flow. It didn't didn't have the same pattern or same feel as the rest of these issues that we've been reading. Yeah, I mean, it's a good teaser. I'd oh, yeah, for sure. intrigued if I was reading this, but it is pretty random. There's not really any any buildup to it at all. And how do you like that last, uh, oh, that one panel where uh, it's a flashback and and Bucky is riding on the motorcycle with Captain America, and then there's this huge text box <laughs> at the bottom <laughs> saying, "Guys, we made the a disclaimer. mistake." <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know 
it has that traditional Marvel Marvel humor, and they're just like, well, we we missed we messed up here, so here you go. I like how they try their hardest to justify the reason why the mistake isn't a mistake. That's a classic no prize right there. Before no prizes were invented. <laughs> yeah, this this is uh, even even Captain America's memories are still a little little fuzzy sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, I love that. So what do you what do you think about the uh, the art in this one? Oh yeah, this is is this the this is the first issue with Dick Ayers I think um, inking it. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. not great. There are so many weird choices that Dick Ayers does here. Let's see. Let's go to uh, page one seventy four, one seventy five. This is page four and five in this book, and just look at like Steve up in the top corner when he's like taking off his shirt there and there's some like thick there's thick outlines that is very different and and bold and they stand out but not in a good way I think and and same with in the second tier there's the panel where Steve has his hand over his face and his shoulder is outlined really thick but it's not in a a slick Joe Sinnott kind of way like mm-hmm. Joe Sinnott would do that all the time but this one just looks bizarre in that way and I'm not I'm not really a fan of any any face in this book. I don't think anyone is quite drawn with with the care we've seen in the issues prior here. Yeah. They all look a little little muddy or stretched or something. Man, that one page that one of uh of Steve on 175 in the top corner, which is yeah. a close up of his face. <laughs> it's um I don't know. Yeah, and then um yeah, he looks a little drowsy or asleep or something and then on page 177, the three face sequence there. It just doesn't look right for some reason. I, I can't really put my finger on it. It just looks a little yeah. a little sloppy to me. Well, this is something that jo- that Gene Colan does all the time is these these like, multiple faces being smeared across to show a passage of time or something like that and but you have to have an inker that knows how to blend the the images together in a way that flows this one it looks like there's a random ear on top of that middle captain america's head it just doesn't look right at all uh, and I, you you flash forward to the issue with the apes where the transformation is going on when the guy turns into an ape and it's like wow that looks really really good and you look at this and it's kind of the same thing world of difference this mm-hmm. doesn't look great i was quite disappointed with all of these dick airs inked or embellished issues yeah um yeah definitely definitely not um what we what we've been used to but there's there's some good panel layouts there's some a little breakup of the traditional you know six or eight panel layouts so it, it, yes. there is some interesting stuff here but yeah well that's because gene colon's still doing that stuff like that mm-hmm. that shows through despite the embellishments so that's kind of good all right, so Captain America 129 is called The Vengeance of the Red Skull. And in this one, he's uh, Captain America's back on the road, but um, the Red Skull diverts him and the King of Arabia to the town of Clifton, where Captain America quickly realized that something is up. And uh, they, they try and start the start to kidnap the, the King of Arabia and, um, and end up luring Cap into the trap. And the whole the whole plan here is to send the king into space for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so we've been having these one-off issues. Like they're all self-contained stories. But I feel like any time that Red Skull comes into the play, you have to have more than one issue. But we don't get that. This is just a single issue of Red Skull, and it doesn't serve him very well at all. He has kind of an outlandish plot, which uh, which I feel like by this time we're in the middle of 1970 now, and they should have moved past the whole giant magnet pulling up 
pulling up the Buick into the sky mm-hmm. and sending it into space. Like that's something you'd see in the early days of Fantastic Four with Doctor Doom, right? <laughs> yeah, this, this one definitely to me reads like a uh, an episode of the '60s Batman TV show. There's just the the mis the misdirection on the the road. The, the arrow is pointing to the wrong town. Yeah, the whole thing is a little cartoony. And there's nothing really here that that couldn't be done by another villain. Um, there's mm-hmm. nothing that makes this a, a Red Skull plot a unique you know plot to him. So, man, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It this is an Adam West Batman issue for <laughs> sure. It definitely feels like that. And then it, we also have another one of these issues where the last two panels kind of crams in so much plot because I think they ran just ran out of space. So like the panels are small and so much happens. To, to try and wrap up the story lickety split yeah and it's a little uh, unclear in some ways to me i mean i think you know by the time you get to the end of the last page you see okay the, you know the red skull got trapped in the rocket but um the way the way it almost looks to me is like cap is kicking him out of the rocket um in the <laughs> the fourth horizontal panel there on the last page yeah you're right um just kind of looks a little odd i think maybe he's flipping him above his head or something i think that's the intention um, yeah yeah but it just doesn't read too clearly um but yeah it's definitely a little rushed and uh i I don't know it's it's a kind of a fun issue just just in the same way the adam west batman show was fun um but the plot doesn't really make any sense i don't know why kidnapping a a king would or sending a king into space would would make the two countries go to war but um, well it was just the act of kidnapping i think the red skull you know the the, the the goal of his plan is actually fine. It's the execution, because the goal of his right. plan is if I, ki- if I kidnap this king and place him in a death trap, Captain America will come and get caught in the trap and die. That's good. But then also the act of kidnapping this king will make the East fight the West and there will be another world war. So, like, that follows through with, with Red Skull's, you know, his, his Yeah, I plans. just don't know. I just don't know. Like, I mean, all people have to do is say, oh, it was the Red Skull, you know, like... We saw the Red Skull trying to do this. Well, it's not America. Yeah, I don't right. know. I, I I wouldn't really buy it. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I mean, I guess I guess that does kind of track with with his uh, with his prior stuff. So, yeah. um, and we don't have we don't have a sad cap here. We've no, got, that's we've two got, issues uh, in a row. Yeah, we may be turning a corner. He's uh, he makes a nice little speech saying, you know, I've got the threat of war is gone, and I've got a lot of country left to see. Yeah. Well, speaking of country to see, we're going to see Captain America taken on the road in this next issue, Captain America 130. It's called Up Against the Wall. Uh, great intro here. I really love this. It's a fight between the Hulk and Captain America, and we're wondering what's going on, but it turns out to just be a movie called <laughs> Captain America versus Hulk, which... Let down. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's not It's not real, but can you imagine in 1969 or 1970, the, the, the Marvel bullpen or whoever, the, like Stanley's like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a Captain America versus Hulk <laughs> movie, like on the big screen that people could go watch and flash forward 50 years and we're in that now. Like, that's very, very cool. Yeah, it, it is fun to see, even if it's not really happening in the book. Yeah. Um, and I like the audience reaction where they just say, yeah, well, it's just it's just a movie, you know. Yeah. He's uh, Captain America is not really like that. And of course, he's he's behind them listening. <laughs> and in fact, like who cares about Captain America? He's irrelevant and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of the some of the themes that we've been picking up on the, in the last few, you know, the, throughout this book, I guess. So he's still this- wrestling with that. This whole issue, I, I, it almost felt like a repeat of the first issue in the collection. The, yeah, it really did. The angry students. 
So that's, that's exactly it. So he stumbles again into a student riot. This time it's a, a more violent riot. Like they are actively trying to break down the doors of the university to get at the dean. Uh, and then Cap saves the dean. And this mysterious character called the the Hood arranges for Captain America to, to um, be on TV and stand up for the dean. And is going to kind of create distrust distrust among the younger generation of Americans. And so... But I, I like this little turn of events because Captain America does go on TV, but he's like, to, you know, screw the script. I'm going to say what I want to say. And he goes mm-hmm. ahead and says, you know, I'm not against what the students were doing, but I'm also not against what the dean is doing. Uh, so both of you guys need to figure this out and stop being morons. Not in those exact words, though. Yeah, and obviously that, that angers, uh, it upsets the plan here. And uh, you get Batrock and Porcupine coming in. Um, and whirlwind to, to shut him up and whirlwind yeah yep. i can't forget whirlwind <laughs> so these characters are from um he, uh, i think one of them porcupines from human torch in his strange tales issues mm-hmm. and whirlwind i believe is from ant-man giant man yeah he started out as uh as the human top before he turned into whirlwind yeah yeah that's right so we are getting some more villains from other books coming into this one and porcupine actually kind of becomes a captain america regular through the early grunewald issues um i think it's grunewald or maybe it's before that um yeah he he uh definitely makes a few appearances i I, the issue escapes him but i think there's a is it part of the under siege storyline or something where he's trying to get his suit back or, or something like that? Yeah. From the Avengers mansion. There's, there's definitely some good porcupine stuff yeah. uh, with Captain America in the future. Yeah. I liked, I like this issue. I think it's a good, it was a good setup then. And it's all it was, it was like tons of setup, but the mm-hmm. first part, like you said, very uh, repetitive from what we've seen before, but for a good reason, and we'll find out in a few issues why that's that's the case. Yeah, and this it was it was enjoyable enough. I, I think there's enough in here to, to differentiate it from the prior student riot one, especially with the the Hulk fight and everything in the movie. Um, but it's another Dick Ayers issue, and I think I think it's just the the faces is what I have the biggest issue with. Yeah. They're just kind of everyone just looks a little off to me. Yep, so, yep. and we don't we don't get a, a sad Captain America at the end here again. We're, I think we're through that. And we get a. <laughs> Like it zooming off on the motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's great. Captain America 131 is called Bucky Reborn. And we see the hood again who finds a random person looks like an older Bucky Barnes and happens to have amnesia. How, how lucky is that? <laughs> this makes the news and, uh, and Captain America falls for the trap and rushes in. And uh, we learn that the hood is really Baron Strucker and he's been uh, been waiting for this and, um, and ends up trapping Captain America. Now, Baron Strucker is a guy that we've seen lots of times in the pages of Captain America here, but only in World War II flashbacks because he is an old Nazi, uh, you know, not Nazi leader. Uh, so this is this is I think he makes one modern day appearance in the pages of uh, Shield in Strange Tales before this, mm-hmm. but this is kind of his first run in with Captain America in modern day. So that's kind of cool to see, uh, to see this classic villain uh, that we've seen in the pages of Sergeant Fury a lot and coming up with a cool plan. And he's no lightweight. Like he, he takes on Captain America pretty well with, uh, with his weapons and such just in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, he's got a, a cool crossbow, and um, and he definitely definitely holds his own, and and he's able to get Captain America strapped to the the giant clock. Yeah, 
kind of a James Bond. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's total James Bond death trap here. Uh, now he doesn't have to do this to, to even bother with Bucky. Bucky was uh, a means to get Captain America in his in his warehouse or wherever he is. But he could have just put out a notice saying, "Hey, I found Bucky." He didn't have to get a real Bucky. I think he went through a lot of trouble for nothing. Yeah, it's um, well. I think I think we find more about that in the the next issue, right? Who who this guy really is? But uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to have a new a new villain here. Um, I don't know why why you need the reveal being the hood, but um, yeah, no kidding. But it that is kind of weird. yeah. It just I, I, you could have just had him be Baron Shucker from the beginning, I guess. But um, but uh, yeah, we get Bucky back. I mean, that's kind of he is a little odd. I think I think the only thing he says right is I am Bucky Barnes or <laughs> yeah, something so like true. that. He, he just repeats yeah. that over and over yeah but by the end of the issue um captain america is kind of starting to believe him it was nice to see captain america smiling and happy at the beginning of this issue and we made a point of saying we haven't had sad captain america in the last couple of issues here it's because they need him to be in a good place so that they can kick him down again (laughs) which is what's going to happen in this next (laughs) issue here issue number 132 this one's called the fearful secret of bucky barnes it turns out that Bucky is just an android created by Doctor Doom for Modok. In fact, it, it's revealed in this one that Modok has been pulling all of the strings with the student riot since the beginning of this book. Anytime we've seen that, it's been him fanning the flame to try and get all of this this um, unrest amongst the younger generation. And to what purpose? Not exactly sure, but he just likes to cause chaos or whatever. And Bucky, it's interesting that Modok, who creates a bunch of robots himself in this book, has to go to Doctor Doom to create a robot of Bucky. Yeah, he uh, he challenges him. He says, you know, kind of uses some reverse psychology and says, you you know, create me a, a robot that will defy detection by Captain America himself. And then Doctor Doom says, oh, you think I fail? He thinks I can't do it. I'll do it. Yeah. And um, and he does. I mean, it's uh, it's obviously fooling everyone, including Captain America. And he does it so well that Bucky ends up having the like real memories or what seems to be like he Dr. Doom programmed Bucky's character so well that once he is commanded to destroy Captain America, his personality or his moral compass overrides that programming and he can't fight Captain America in the end. He can't kill him. Yeah, it's um, the the android you know, kind of develops a personality of his own, some feelings of his own, and um, he, he's holding the rock over Captain America's head, and at the very last second, kind of remembers remembers all these fake memories that have been implanted in him, and uh, and decides to self destruct. We have um, we have a check in, a brief check in with Sharon and Falcon in this one because we kind of haven't seen the his uh, supporting cast for a little while. Mm-hmm. So they get a little bit of a um, a little bit of screen time, but then we have like we have six and a half pages of exposition in this issue of Modok telling us all about how his how his master plan has unfolded <laughs> in this last while. It's like that's great because I did want to know what was going on, but man, couldn't we find a different way to tell this story than just like him talking to himself? I, I laughed at the, I think it's, let's see, page 257, where he says, you know, I, I want to think back and remember and enjoy the successes of my plan. And then it starts, <laughs> like you said, this this long exposition. Long, long. Of, so yeah, long. and there's a little bit more of that in the next issue, too, where we, we kind of learn more about Modoc's background. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, this 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 issue just felt oddly paced. I mean, it was yeah. kind of uh, it was good to see a lot of this stuff, and I, I like the resolution with the the Bucky Android and everything. But it's kind of uh, sandwiched here with with the Modoc stuff in the middle. Very strange. Uh, the next issue is 133, um, Madness in the Slums. And in this one, we learn a lot about Modoc's origin story, and he ends up creating another uh, android called the Living Bulldozer, which goes after some slums in Harlem where uh, the people of Harlem start to support it and support the destruction. And so Captain America and the Falcon um, race to figure out what's happened and stop it. Yeah, this is an interesting a little bit of social commentary as well. Mm-hmm. The people who are living in the slums support the fact that the slums are being destroyed by this giant android because they think that after that they'll be built better. But in reality, they probably would just not be rebuilt at all because people are homeless now. So kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense in that sense there yeah i think i think that you know it's it's kind of a little manipulation where and modok goes on that little soliloquy or rant or whatever where he's on page 285 where he says you know wherever people are suffering wherever they're downtrodden downtrodden they are ripe for exploitation so he's uh he's obviously trying to manipulate the situation in in the slums to uh to inflame them against captain america which is what kind of what he's been doing this whole book yeah yeah Oh man, so we have another another robot, another android. And I think from when I was reading this one, I could tell this is why Modoc wanted Dr. Doom to make that other one of Bucky because Modoc's robots are not <laughs> intelligent or not really they're like they're not subtle at all. Nope, another pointy-headed, weird-looking robot. And this one, I, I think he's got, like, kind of math equations on him <laughs> yes, or, or shapes on him. Yes, what's up with that? <laughs> it's, it's weird. I, 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 can't, I don't really know why. I don't know why either. It's so strange. But, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. By this point, while I, I actually really like MODOK as a character here, I think he's, he's quite interesting and just in a, you know, evil, maniacal kind of a way. But his plans are not great. Um, and it's interesting to see him back here where he's actually taken as a serious character dis- despite his incredibly ridiculous design. Because nowadays, whenever Modoc makes an appearance, he's always a joke character. And like he's got mm-hmm. a whole TV show now that's a joke, right? And that yeah i mean he's, he's so goofy looking and cartoony looking even back back in this era yeah but yeah the the origin is kind of interesting a little scary i mean just kind of this guy this random you know aim agent being kidnapped here to be forced to turn to the modok yeah i can't even imagine and it's just his head grows and grows and grows it's so strange <laughs> My favorite part about this one was seeing finally um, another team up with with Captain America and the Falcon, and and at the end here where they say, you know, this is Captain America's finally found a partner, and they start talking about our work and and teaming up again. Yeah, so I want to read a little quote. This is a quote about the Falcon. Gene Colan wrote this for for the Captain America Marvel Masterworks introduction for I think Volume Four it is. He says, in the late 1960s, when the news of the Vietnam War and civil rights protests were regular occurrences, and Stan, always wanting to be at the forefront of things, started bringing these headlines into the comics, one of the biggest steps we took in this direction came in Captain America. I enjoyed drawing people of every kind. I drew as many different types of people I could into the scenes I illustrated, and I loved drawing black people. I always found their features interesting, and so much of their strength, spirit, and wisdom written on their faces. I approached Stan, as I remember, with the idea of introducing an African-American hero, and he took to it right away. 
I looked at several African-American magazines and used them as the basis of inspiration for bringing the Falcon to life. So I like that comment because like we were talking about, especially with like the, the Vietnam issue with the Asian characters, like he's very intentional about, you know, a realistic portrayal of these different races. Yeah, and I think I think we see that through through the whole book here. I mean, obviously it's a little dated uh, viewing it, you know, fifty plus years later. Yep. But but at the time, uh, this this was probably pretty pretty, if not edgy stuff, at least at least pretty uh, modern in terms of the depiction of of African Americans and and the civil civil rights movement that was going on. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's keep on going over to issue number one thirty four. They call him Stoneface. Stoneface is a uh, a kind of a mob boss that's uh, that's um, you know he he's he's kind of trying to control Harlem. He's hitting up all the businesses for for protection money and all that kind of stuff. Um, Falcon's nephew, who we meet in this issue, gets kind of mixed up in this. He's working for the mob. He's called he's called a number runner. He's he's running numbers, which just means he goes to the businesses and collects the 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 protection money. And in one, and then he gets caught by the cops, and people think, or and Captain America and the Falcon both come to his defense to try and keep him out of jail, and that Stoneface thinks that he's squealed, and that's why Captain America is helping him out. So they put he puts out a hit on his nephew. Uh, kind of a cool story. I like that after this ridiculous story with with Red Skull sending oil tycoons into space, and and. Uh, giant androids, Bucky coming back to life and AIM and whatever, we get kind of a, a more down-to-earth, just a crime story. And it's kind of cool. I, I like it. I thought it was a really good a good issue. Yeah, um, the it's kind of just like a moral uh, moral lesson here for for Jody, and um, so so the numbers uh, numbers racket or numbers number runners that was actually a form of gambling. I don't know if it still goes on. I'm not I'm not in that world, but uh, you know in in the the gambling world. But uh, basically, they would collect money from people to um, to bet on uh, whatever the numbers would be. So I think it was oh, okay. um, a lot. You know, they pop up in the newspaper. They'd pick some some random set of numbers that would be in the newspaper every every day for them to bet on you know obviously random and if you got the, if you hit the numbers right you won the lottery so it's kind of this this uh illegal racket that they had going on oh okay that that makes more sense because jody would say stuff to sam like you know i'm not no one's getting hurt by this mm-hmm. yeah he's he's just going around kind of collecting people's bets basically from like from what i understand okay but, uh, that makes a lot more sense now yeah yeah it, it kind of a yeah kind of like a low-key issue like you said um i really didn't like the art in this one though i just thought it was yep. really kind of sloppy looking it was even sloppier than last time and i wonder mm-hmm. i think part of that is maybe we got some bad scans like they couldn't get their hands on the original artwork so they had to scan the comics and whenever you scan from comics you you lose a lot of the clarity of the line and um like the just the the fine point because because a comic especially in the 70s when they were using terrible newsprint like the ink would really soak in and and um and bleed a lot and such and so if you're making a scan of that you don't you lose a lot of the the detail in the drawings and i think that's what it looks like to me 
just looking over these pages is that possibly we have some bad scans here. And on top of that, we have Dick Ayers <laughs> embellishing. So like that didn't help in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely just kind of the same issues I've had the whole time with, with people's faces. And on top of that, um, I didn't even think about the scans. But yeah, just a little, a lot of uh, blurriness or, you know, at least muddiness in terms it, of the I think the it's muddiness, work. yeah. The line work yeah. gets a little, a little muddy. Now, speaking of faces, though, um, stone faces face himself is really distorted because i think he looks like he's had a stroke i think Mm -hmm. this is intentional uh because that and that's why he's called stone face because half of his face is paralyzed from a stroke oh i didn't pick up on that but you're right yeah i think that's kind of a cool visual thing to to add to this guy to make him a little bit more unique yeah his mouth kind of droops off to one side like like a stroke victim so that makes sense yeah Okay, keep on going here to Captain America number 135. Yeah, this one's called More Monster Than Man. And um, this was kind of a, a fun issue where a mad scientist uh, ends up at S.H.I.E.L.D., turns himself into a big gorilla, and um, starts going a little crime spree with some animal friends. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, this two-part story is actually my favorite in the book. I liked this Me too. one. Yeah, okay, okay, good. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and not only that, but we have some incredible embellishers or inkers on this one to make the artwork even better than we, we've seen yet in this book. But uh, I'll get to that in a second. The story itself, I just thought, what fun. Uh, a classic story of a mad scientist experimenting on himself, and of course it goes wrong, he turns himself into a monster. And that is always a good time. But I feel like you throw in Gene Colan's incredible sense of drama through his compositions. And the pages on page 318 and 319, which is page 8 and 9 in this in this story mm-hmm. here, where he's turning into the monster, is just like so cool to look at. There's a lot of really awesome stuff going on here. And this is Tom Palmer doing the inking. And I think he really, really brings... Gene Colan's artwork to life, unlike Dick Ayers, who kind of sucks the life out of it. Yeah, I really liked um, this issue and the next one. They, I, I love the fact that he's a, a scientist with Shield. That's kind of kind of a nerdy guy, and obviously he looks like a monkey already. But yeah. um, you have that kind of love interest angle where he he's kind of pining after one of uh, Sharon's friends at Shield, Julia, and um, just the yeah, just the classic kind of mad scientist uh, turns turns evil um scenario here um but yeah i, I think I, I just had to laugh for most of this book i i, I you know whether it's the, the guy's face um or the animals kind of just joining in on all yeah. the i loved all the dogs and everything <laughs> totally. um, becoming bank robbers that that really cracked me up there's some other funny things in here uh they're great character beats with falcon and Nick Fury, because Captain America brings Falcon into the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters through the super-secret barbershop. I'm like, wow, doesn't even bother to call ahead and, like, get security clearance or anything like that. Just brings a stranger right into (laughs) S.H.I.E.L.D.'s headquarters. (laughs) And, um... I think we, I think it was the last issue, but um, 134 prior to this, but it, the book is now titled Captain America right. and the Falcon. Yeah, and yeah. So it's clear he's going to be sticking around for a while. Yeah, that's a pretty um, notable change to give Falcon the cover, like the title billing right at the top there. 
mm-hmm. for the for sake of the just legal information, the the title is still just called Captain America. But this Captain America and Falcon is going to last for quite a while on the cover. And the same thing happened with Daredevil and Black Widow a little while later in mm-hmm. the 70s. Yeah, I think this lasts until well into the, the 200s for the book. So, um, you know, hopefully hopefully you guys like the Falcon because he's, he's going to be around for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So S.H.I.E.L.D. here is wearing their same green and orange outfits what did they call those? It was the experimental, like indestructible oh, yeah. suits. Oh uh, yeah, the what are they? The protecto suits. The protecto suits, yeah. So they're wearing these protecto suits here, and I think it's just because I'm so used to like blue being the color of Shield, like Nick Fury's standard uh, through the through the 90s at least. His standard outfit is this blue jumpsuit. To me, dressing S.H.I.E.L.D. up in all green just makes them look like Hydra. Yeah, and you kind of have that with Falcon, too. Um, he's He's got the green and orange going on as well. I think his his little neck, Falcon necklace changes to red in this one. Um, but right. he, he kind of blends in a lot with, with the S.H.I.E.L.D. people. But they do look like Hydra. <laughs> yeah, they do. And with, with scientists like uh, like this guy who, who needs Hydra, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, so I mentioned the sequence on 318, and I, I liked it. I also want to point out the sequence on 322, where... Yeah, with the, the eyes there kind of mirroring the prior sequence. So this is what I was talking about, how Gene loves these scenes where he's blending these objects together to, to create the passage of time, sort of a montage, and how Dick Ayers really screwed up that other one with Steve by putting like that ear on that one guy's, the other Steve's forehead and all that. This is a good example of how it's done really well with a good inker. It looks fantastic. And some very cool coloring choices here as well, because we get like the, the face in blue and and the, the panel above, we get the really harsh lighting, the, the, the yellow on the doctor's faces on Gorbo's, mm-hmm. on Gorbo's front side and the pink and purple vials in the foreground. Like it, it's, it's very, it's a little unconventional, uh, just the color choices, but it looks fantastic. Yeah, this, this whole issue is such a step up from what the last few that we've seen. Um, everything looks pretty crisp and clean and and yeah the colors are a lot more interesting now did you notice also on this page page 322 that uh this is page 12 and 13 like the top half has a little 12 in the corner and the bottom oh i didn't notice that that's funny yeah so there was a period of time where marvel would put um they would just do half pages and then the bottom half would be an advertisement oh of course and so here They've just uh, taken out the advertisements, of course, and they put the two half pages together <laughs> onto one full page. That's I don't know how I feel about them combining that like this. Um, you know, it's obviously, not authentic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't really reproduce the ad, I guess. Um, but it no, would be kind of interesting to have the the space still there to to mirror that experience. So if you go, if you look at like the old um, Silver Age DC omnibuses or those those Silver Age trade paperbacks that they've been putting out recently mm-hmm. a lot of those ones have half page advertisements and they do leave it open like the space is just blank they put like the hero's logo in there or something to take up some space yeah i've seen that so there's an example of it actually happening yeah i mean it, it's obviously not uh an authentic reading experience for many reasons just reading right. it in this collection but um yeah, that's that's a good catch. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and it happens actually through most of these issues in the back half of the book. Okay, so the very end of this issue, Captain America. Oh, okay, so one thing we didn't talk about is that there is a a new experiment called Operation Earth Dig, 
and it is to drill the deepest hole in earth in order to bury all of the toxic waste that that the world has been making safely away from all humans. So they've dug the deepest hole on the planet. And through the battle with the ape, Captain America and the ape fall into the deepest hole in the planet. And that takes us into our next issue, which is issue 136, which is called The World Below. So we have another embellisher. This is Bill Everett, who is a fantastic penciler. He's a fantastic inker. Uh, He does some really, really good work on here. And his style is very, very specific. He adds a lot of harsh cross-hatching to to give his shading and if you were reading his early the early issues of the hulk where he does his inking it's kind of the same thing so if you go to page 334 or 335 which is page four and five of this collection you can see a lot of Mm -hmm. examples of this like in the first panel on page 334 the the i don't know if this is a senator senator or whoever he is like this the cross-hatching on his face that's something you didn't see in Dick Ayer's embellishments, that's for sure. <laughs> and then like Sharon Carter on the next page, Sharon Carter has a lot of detail and shading to, to give her um, a lot of depth and a lot of just roundness. So that those examples are all throughout this book. He, he's, a, he's a really, really good embellisher. And he also changes a lot of Gene Colan's artwork and especially I think the women's faces so that they don't even really look like Gene Colan anymore. Um, they, 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 he, he's a, he's an old EC artist. And so I think a lot of his artwork kind of conveys that old style. Uh, there'll be some examples in the next issue, actually, I'm going to point out. So maybe we can leave that for, for then. It's definitely a more mature look, I would say. Um, yeah. kind of just, yeah, you're right. Like a lot of the faces look more, more stern and the, and the coloring is really good in this one too. I, there's some nice choices, um, on page 332, um, Sharon's face there, uh, in, in purple yeah. um just some some nice choice. yeah some nice pops of color throughout the the issue now i know the last issue was embellished by tom palmer and we mentioned the coloring and tom palmer is actually a colorist himself he did a lot of coloring and i was wondering if maybe he colored that all himself because i don't think that the co- the artists are credited let me just double check that the colorists yeah at this point the colorists are not credited so we're not too sure who did the coloring what did you um, What did you think of the mole man popping up here? I thought it was great. <laughs> so here's another classic villain from another comic book. This one in ca- being Fantastic Four, but mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like if they're going to bury the the nuclear waste in the center of the Earth, what are the implications? What are the ramifications of that? And of course, the people on the surface are thinking, well, there's no one underground, especially deep underground, that is going to be affected by this. But they're forgetting that. In the Marvel Universe, there are several subterranean races. At this point, there might only be the one with the with the Mole Man here. But I was happy to see him uh, show up and let the surface know that they're you know they're being stupid for doing this. You're not thinking about the consequences. And uh, they and through by the end of this book, Captain America goes back up to the top, agreeing with Mole Man and saying, "You need to figure out a different way to deal with your problem." Yeah, and um, and we even have uh, what's what's the monkey called Doctor Garbo, Garbo or whatever call himself. Yeah. We even have him kind of uh, get get redeemed a little bit by the end, um, yeah. where he says, "No, you know what? It's it's not worth it. I I hated them, but not Julia. I want her to be okay." So yeah, he uh, he, he kind of sacrifices himself. He does, yeah. 
we get another couple of pages that are very crammed at the end of this issue. That seems to be a common thing with Gene Colan. I think maybe since he loves his big panels, he puts too many big panels at the beginning of the issue and doesn't leave himself enough room to finish off his story. Yeah, you could have had definitely another cool transition panel of uh, of the, the gorilla, but you kind of just have him get shot and change and redeem himself all within a tight little space here. Yeah, very tight. Okay, so one thing that I realized when watching when reading this issue is that the Falcon doesn't fly. I had the same same realization once yeah. you got that jetpack. You yeah. got the jetpack in this issue. It's like we are so used to Sam Wilson in the movies, and of course in comic mm-hmm. books since he got when he gets the red costume and stuff, he he can always fly he's just been one of the flying heroes but he doesn't fly in this despite being called the falcon he hasn't at all until he got this yeah. jetpack in this one issue yeah they make a big deal of it um of him getting the jetpack you see tony stark in here um setting him up with it uh on page one or sorry 345 and uh it, it just it fits him so well yeah and uh and it, it's kind of a nice little sequence to see him fly for the first time and like you said i, I didn't i certainly forgot all about it i was like oh yeah wait yeah <laughs> this is a big deal <laughs> this is a big deal very cool. All right. Um, issue 137 of Captain America and the Falcon is called To Stalk the Spider-Man. And in this one, uh, they're back on the surface and Captain America and the Falcon kind of split ways um, a little angrily. And Falcon sees Spider-Man and decides that, well, he's uh, a criminal, so I'm going to track him down. Yeah, kind of a basic plot, a lot of setup for the next issue. We've been actually mm-hmm. getting a couple of, of two-issue story arcs in a row here, which is kind of cool after all of those single-issue stories. Uh, okay, so take a look at Sharon Carter's face on page two, the big picture of her face there. A lot of detail mm-hmm. with the eyelashes and stuff like that is like... That's not a Gene Colan face. That's definitely something Bill Everett brings to Gene Colan's artwork, changing up the faces a little bit. And you can tell if you flip through this and look at all of especially Sharon's faces, um, but even some of the other faces, he they, they're not Gene Colan faces. And it's interesting to see Peter Parker and Harry Osborn in this issue. Harry Osborn especially, because his look is so specific to both Ditko and Ramita, the way they render him that Gene Colan has to kind of fit into into that space in order to draw into draw um, Harry. Yeah, he does look a little out of place. Um, with I think it was a page three sixty one. Yeah, um, could easily be in Spider Man instead of Captain America. Yeah, it looks like he's either John Romita has come and done that this panel himself, <laughs> or he's copying a. He must be like swiping a, a Romita image from another book. And we'll see a little Romita in the next one for sure. Yeah, um, right. But uh, yeah, this this was a fun issue. I I, I kind of I, I liked um, I liked how it continued straight from the last one, and you see. Another misconnection with Captain America and Sharon. They, they always just seem to be. She fainted in this one, but they always seem to miss each other. Um, yeah, it's almost a comedy of errors. It's like yeah. one person leaves the room through one door as the other person yeah. enters the room. <laughs> and uh, and Captain America just says a little a little bit about you know not polluting underground, and yep. somehow the generals and everything. Um, agree with him and that that resolves that um what did you think about falcon and uh and spider-man kind of going at it this is a classic marvel team-up uh way of of uh telling a story where the heroes misunderstand and have a fight first before they team up really cool to see gene colon drawing spider-man because i don't know how often that happens Mm -hmm. i didn't even know it happened at all so that's it's it's neat to see 
But I'm I'm I was happy with this issue because Falcon gets to strike out on his own. We were talking earlier in this episode how Falcon made a name for himself in Harlem without us seeing it. We only really know uh, we only really know Falcon as a partner to Captain America. That's all we've seen. So he's striking out on his own. And while he doesn't do the best job on his own, we, it's nice to to experience what he is capable of uh, and how he goes about conducting his business without Captain America's influence. Yeah, I mean, and he he can hold his own here with Spider Man. He, yep. um, you know, for being just a regular guy, he's uh, he goes toe to toe pretty well. Yeah. So this is the last Gene Colan issue. This wraps up his run. He is done, and we move on to. Captain America and Falcon and the Falcon issue number 138 it happens in Harlem drawn by John Ramita and it doesn't give us an inker or an embellisher credit so I'm guessing that he is doing all of the work himself this is the first issue of um, a, a short run I think he's on this book for about a year now after this so we're going to get a lot more Ramita in the next volume that's Actually, fine with me I think it's less than a year. But yeah, very fitting that he enters the book while Spider-Man is being a guest star because it just fits so well. It just feels so natural. Mm -hmm. And he's a great artist. And this is another fun issue and a great conclusion to the story here where uh, Spider-Man is now after uh, Stoneface. Stoneface because um, Stoneface is kidnapped um, uh, Falcon after a little incident in, in, in a back alley. And through a little bit of detective work, Spider-Man follows the you know the trail of breadcrumbs and finds that um, Stoneface he he needs to to um, rescue Falcon from Stoneface. Yeah, he um, he he sticks a spider tracer on him after their fight, and uh, and he's able to to track him down. I, I really like the covers on this this one and the last issue in particular. Um, probably some of my favorite covers here, and I think they used yeah they used this issue as the back cover yeah. on the Epic Collection. Um, it, it's just cool seeing Spider-Man on the cover of Captain America. I, you know, obviously that's always been a trick in comics to drive up sales, but um, but it, it works on me. I, I would have grabbed this one over <laughs> yeah. over any other one. Like, oh, you get you get two for one. Well, and it's so dynamic with the with them fighting in these girders in the cops below mm -hmm. and stuff. It, yeah, this one's drawn by John Romita. The other one is Sal Buscema. So you got some good artists there. Yeah, and it's cool to see Stoneface come back and uh, be a little more menacing this time. Yeah, with with kidnapping the Falcon and and uh, and holding him hostage for a little bit. Yeah, it's nice to see him. Uh, you know, I think I, I have no idea if he sticks around or if he's going to be like a reoccurring mob boss for for Falcon and such. But I hope so because. He's an interesting character, and he seems to have his fingers in a few different pots because his he doesn't have anything to do with gambling in this one, in this issue. it's uh, He's trying to get, um, who, who is this guy, um, a representative of, of the governor. He's trying to get a whole bunch of money out of this guy, but this guy wants to try and rebuild the slums. But, but Stoneface is like, you know what, just give me the cash instead. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll help him out. You are, you're not going to do anything. I'll I'll make sure that this money is used properly, which may or may not be true. Who knows? He he. Stoneface does pop up um, a couple more times, Captain America, and uh, he is in an issue of um, Marvel team up with Spider Man um, in, in the 1980s. So a ways away from this, but uh, okay. But kind of uh, Spider Man and the Falcon team up there. Oh, okay. It's a Falcon issue. That that's great. 
it's too bad that he only shows up a couple more times because I'd love him to be as prevalent as like you know like Silvermane or not the Kingpin that that prevalent. But yeah, it's kind of nice to have a a, a villain of the Falcon's own um, kind of in on his home turf. Yeah. So at the end here, uh, what page is this? Page three eighty six where the very bottom of the page we see Captain America, Falcon, and Spider-Man all leaping into action together as a trio. It just is like, I got to that page, I'm like, yes, this is great. Yeah, <laughs> I kept waiting for that because you kind of, they're all kind of on different tracks. Um, you know, Steve is doing his is uh, moaning over Sharon a little bit for most of the issue and um, and Spidey's tracking down Falcon and they all kind of are heading towards the same path. So getting that payoff is, is pretty nice to see. And this brings us to the end of our book. I was um, quite happy with this ending. I thought it was a great place to leave off with a two-part Spider-Man story. Um, and while we weren't as happy with the, the first half of this book, these last four issues especially, I think, make up for all of it. Like, it was worth getting through those issues to get to these stories. Yeah, I think I think some of our complaints or issues that we talked about in this episode and the prior um, regarding the, the supporting cast of Captain America and and his uh, trajectory as a character were addressed. I mean, I think you see you see the Falcon come in and it immediately um, adds a whole different, interesting dynamic to the book. Yes. And so it, it obviously it makes sense why they would make him a featured character and, and put him on the title. Yep, I think it's going to work really well for the book moving forward. Um, and, you know, looking ahead a little bit, Stan Lee doesn't have very much more to go before he hands the reins over to Gary Friedrich. And the mm -hmm. book kind of, I, I'll be interested to read the next volume because the book's going to go through a few different hands before it settles on Steve Englehart for, for his little lengthy run there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes of that. But uh, as far as this volume is concerned, there are some bonus features at the back of this book. It's mainly just the, the cover to the annual, which we mentioned at the beginning of this episode is just reprints and uh, it has some house ads and uh, some original art. Kind of the more interesting stuff is that there are a couple of Marie Severin covers that never got used. Uh, one is a, a rough layout and the other is just an unused cover for the Vietnam issue. So those are cool to see. And I, I do want to make a big note because in the you can really, really see the difference in inking styles uh, mm -hmm. through this original art. When you're looking at, there's two pages of original art from Bill Everett. And especially there's the one when the ape is falling down with Captain America. And man, you just look at how fine of a brush he uses for his inks. The fur it looks really good this, in black and white. The fur is just so good. And um, and then you flip it over to a couple pages back where you have the Dick Ayers inked work, and the ink line is, is just not as fine. He uses a much more thicker brush or whatever, and um, like you can you can drastically see the difference between the different work of these different people. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good, pretty striking comparison, and and um, it's uh, it's always interesting. I, I'm glad that you have a better eye for that stuff than I do because I I um, tend to focus more on the story, I guess, and maybe don't focus and take my time with the art as much as I should. So I'm glad that you, you have a good eye for it and point those things out. Well, and you, you say it yourself. You're like, I, I know that this doesn't look great to me, but you can't quite identify why it is. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, 
yeah, digging into it, it a just, little bit is, is interesting. You, you know when you don't like something or when something isn't appealing, um, yeah. but but having the your your expertise and, and having the language to describe it and pointing out the differences is, is pretty helpful. Yeah. Well, glad to be here for that, and I'm glad that uh, you learned something there. I learned a few things from you, too, so that's uh, a good trade-off, I think. <laughs> oh, of course, always. Uh, okay, well, as far as the podcast is concerned, we're going to take a break from Captain America and move on to something else. So, Drew, I want to thank you for being on these last few episodes with me talking about Captain America, and I had a great time going through these these issues with you. Yeah, me too, Curtis. I really appreciate uh, discussing these, and it's always fun to read these for the podcast, and I'm happy to be back anytime. Yeah, well, you also go through the Wolverine issues with me, or volumes with me, so I think maybe next time you're on the show, we should uh, cycle back to some of those, uh, especially since they've been filling in those early volumes of Wolverine. We can tackle some of that stuff again. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Great. Well, I want to thank all you listeners out there for listening as well. And you can visit me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can join my Epic Collection group. If you just search for Epic Collections on Facebook, you should find it. But that's all we have for today. So I'm signing off. Uh, see everybody later. Bye.